This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I think even the people who are slightly skeptical want to be pulled in and surprised. It makes a good story. That's too much to be a coincidence. Who wants to hear about fake psychics? Well, I suppose not because of the fake part. It just becomes, oh, not because there's nothing ethereal or otherworldly about fake psychics. I rewatched that spooky Nicole Kidman film, The Others, the other day, which is just such a good film. And even though you see the twist coming in a certain respect the actual scene where it happens where the twist happens is just amazing but that's a fictional take on real ghosts and spirits whereas today i'm talking with bbc journalist vicky baker about a mafia of psychics who colluded to share information about their clients we'll look into the kinds of tricks that they used to play on unsuspecting clients and zone in on the life of Lamar Keane who wrote a book explaining how he fooled the world into believing he had psychic powers many people still believe in psychics and spiritual stuff but spiritualists have been evolving of late to work within the modern world. Vicky also tells me about how, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow's gloop and other kinds of woo-woo stuff based on no empirical evidence are replacing some of the old world clairvoyant stuff. There's lots we didn't get to cover today. For example, bits about spoonbender Yuri Geller, who was taken in for CIA tests, and the MK Ultra programs where the US military tried to train soldiers to have superpowers. For more on that and to hear the rest of the story about the fake psychic mafia, check out the podcast Fake Psychic on BBC Sounds. I think you can get that in other countries too. And Vicky previously made a podcast that we touch on called Fake Heiress about the rise and fall of the woman who scammed New York into thinking she was a multimillionaire heiress, Anna Delvey. There's now a Netflix thing about it and all that. Vicky works on the BBC's Panorama and used to work at the Index on Censorship which we'll talk a little bit about at the end. Follow her on Twitter, it's just her name, and I'm on andrewgold underscore OK. Get in touch to tell us what you thought of the episode. Coming up are episodes with therapist Katie Morton on the truth about depression and eating disorders, and a man called Rutherford who tracked down his birth parents to find his father was a child murderer. But now you're on the edge of fake psychic mafias with Vicky Baker. Vicky Baker, welcome on the On the Edge with Andrew Gold podcast. My voice has changed from how we were talking before to now being all broadcasty. How are you doing? <laughs> Great, thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. I really, really am interested and fascinated by your podcast, by the the fake psychic. Really, can you tell me how? Like, I mean, obviously, you do talk about this in the in the podcast as well. But how you got? I guess, suppose, yeah, how how you came across this? Well, I decided I wanted to investigate psychics it's like that, that whole world is interesting to me and the fact that it's actually a massive worldwide industry um and to do so i felt i needed 
a character to follow if I was going to do a kind of multi-part um, podcast or something. And it was a case of finding the right the right case. And I did the first, I did the kind of standard thing of looking on Google News and seeing if there'd been a, anything recent. Uh, and there always is. There always are cases, but they were largely quite small scale, you know, a few thousand, tens of thousands of pounds that they managed to con out of people, which obviously is enormous to, to the person that it affects, but maybe not. Maybe you can't, you know, <laughs> get hours of content out of that story. Um, so, I, so I Googled um, wanting to go bigger. Has there ever been, first I think I Googled, has there ever been a, a psychic crime ring? And I didn't get much from that. I found like psychic detectives, which is also a really interesting field. Nice. Um, but that had been covered quite a lot. And um, and then by complete chance, I just <laughs> Googled the phrase, has there ever been a psychic mafia? And that's when I came across this forgotten book uh, from 1976 by a psychic called Lamar Keane. Uh, and it was his confessional uh, autobiography talking about how he'd been a con man um, and had conned people out of fortune. And he was part of a larger network, which he termed the psychic mafia that turned on him after he left and told all. Oh, my God. What do we know about Lamar Keane then? What kind of person was he apart from obviously a fraudster? Well, he was a he was a great showman. I mean, he was very flashy, and um, from the pictures I've been able to get hold of him, he's a, he's a type of guy who wears an all white suit, rhinestone shoes, always always immaculate. Um, there's an amazing picture of him in this kind of looking like he's in a throne on a sitting on a throne, and because he called he was known as the Prince of Spiritualism which I never know if that was kind of a name he'd coined himself because <laughs> he was also a bit of an egotist. You're looking at like photos. There's, a, there's one particular photo, isn't there, on that throne? I feel like I've seen that before, but maybe that... Is it someone else he looks like? Is it like Orson Welles or, or just one of those old-fashioned photos that you, would, you think you've seen, you know? Maybe. I mean, I've seen his prom photo too. And, you know, and he looks like he had this almost like... He's a good-looking guy and he had this sort of almost movie star looks um yeah he really he, he you know he did take looking good seriously and um it was part of his charm i suppose there's a picture of louis theroux when i put lamar lamar Keen in do you know why that is no i don't think he's he's done the story i don't think anyone else has done the story mm. it might be one of those things where it's in like the the google cache that it might have it might be a different thing i don't know so i mean do you believe in anything spiritual or are you totally anti that stuff where do you stand on this um well i was always interested in the supernatural when i was a kid uh you know i remember having some sort of it, almost like a penguin guide to the supernatural like a really childlike encyclopedia which i loved and um and i think my first investigation was into the school ghost which i did as a sort of project myself to try and find out if anyone had um all these rumors were true that went round my primary school which was an old victorian building and you know did a little map and spoke to supposed witnesses so that was my first um <laughs> investigative project maybe but um since then when i actually did become a journalist i think i've become more skeptical over over the years and obviously you know it's part of the job asking asking questions and and and, and wondering um, the other side of the story uh, but I deliberately didn't keep my personal beliefs in the podcast um, because I kind of wanted it to appeal to uh, believers and sceptics yeah I bet there's probably 
I'm, I'm completely guessing, but I reckon there's going to be like 20, 30% of the listeners here probably are believers and then the rest are maybe skeptic. I, it could be the other way around. What do, what do I know? But, but, but yeah, what is, what is, tell me about what true believer syndrome is. Mm, so that was a, that was a term coined by Lamarckine in his book, um, in, in this context, certainly, um, of how the, the, comes up with the, he uses the phrase no amount of logic can shatter a faith consciously based on a lie and he says that's the greatest thing that um phony mediums have going for them and it's the idea that people believe and they want to believe so much you know the idea of believing in life after death and being able to contact uh, deceased loved ones and knowing there's something for you and everybody afterwards is just so appealing and and sometimes it becomes a lifestyle as well to people who, you know, join the spiritualist church. And so in the his argument was that you, some some people you, you can, no matter how much proof you show someone that something is not true, they can choose to ignore it uh, and carry on. Um, and that's what happened with him when he confessed um, and he told his, his congregation, look, this is what I've done. This is how I knew information about you. I stole, I pickpocketed, you know, I stole information from you. I, I listened to conversations um, and that was how I was ended up uh, giving the impression that I knew something about your dead wife or something. Um, but, uh, you know, a good proportion of the congregation was like, okay, I hear you, but I'm going to stay. <laughs> yeah. They still thought he must have had some way of finding it out. And I, I don't know why he's giving this, why he's saying all this, but it's not. Does, do, you, do you think that has that, that sort of human true believer? I mean, is that a syndrome only some people have? Do you imagine that some, that we all have it to an extent? We're on a spectrum of how much we're willing to, how much we're true believers? Mm, maybe. I mean, that's interesting. I think, you know, we certainly see it in all forms of life, certainly not just in spiritualism, not just in religion. Uh, when you think about it, I mean, the th reason the story appealed to me when I started to read about this is like, well, that has so much resonance to today. You know, we've got Q QAnon, anti-vaxxers, and it, be it becomes a, a lifestyle. And you don't want to... Um, you don't want to sever ties with the people that you've got to know through your Facebook groups that become your life. Um, and you don't want to admit that you're wrong either and that you've been conned. It's quite hard to come back from that. Um, so I think it's easier just to kind of, whatever someone comes and says, look, you know, in the case of anti-vaxxers, look, here's some, here's some science, you know. Uh, and it's easy just to say, no, I'm not, you know. I choose not to engage with that. Yeah, Jordan Peterson's been denying uh, climate change. I just saw a little clip of him doing that. And that, I feel annoyed by that because I sort of was semi-defending a lot of the stuff when people were having a go at him and he's sort of gone further that way. And I guess... I guess as you, it's what you're saying. I mean, what is it? 98 or 99% of scientists, I think, agree that there's climate change is real. And no matter what, it's it's still some people are going to be these true believers. Mm, there was someone that I spoke to who actually worked on who knew Lamar personally uh, that I interviewed for the for the um, the podcast um, Bill Roucher, who helped him write the book, and he used a phrase overbelief, which I thought was really fascinating. The, the, the you know there can be a sliding scale of belief, and you can just tip over the edge uh and it becomes something different 
that seems to have happened. I feel like that's happened. I know there'd be people screaming at me because a lot. He's very, very popular, so people be listening. What are you talking about? He's perfect. He's a god. But uh, I feel like that he sort of flipped over onto that side and the overbelief. I see it happening to myself. Like uh, there are things where, like you know, particularly I think of football when I pref- like a player that plays for the team I support. I I believe in them more than another. You know, and like I go over the belief as well sometimes. So I don't know. Do you have things like that? Do you ever feel your own mind going too far in one direction or another? And you're like. God, I, you know, I've become a true believer. I don't know. Um, I mean, it, it's very emotional, isn't it? And it's just like, I mean, when we talk about people who 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 get involved in this um, this this kind of level of belief, or indeed in cults and and conspiracy theories, it's 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 playing on people's emotions um, so much. You're not you're not thinking rationally. In the case in the case of some of these. Um, you know, sessions people have with psychics as well, you, you know, so much want to believe it. Well, you're right. And what, and what were like some of the red flags around um, Lamarckine? What, and what were the kind of, th- apart from the fact that obviously he was saying he could speak to dead people and stuff and, you know, what was he going about doing? Uh, well, yeah, it was a mixture of tricks with, with him. Um, some, like I say, a sort of petty theft he would he would he would he he was um dexterous and could get into somebody's pocket steal their wallet uh take things like their national secure um social security card uh and things like that and he would recite then he would and the, the trick he did as well he would leave it this is such a simple trick but you you know it would reappear months later you know it's no point it reappearing in the next session that you have at the church and the spirits are like, oh, I'm getting a message from the spirit, your social security number is whatever, because, you you know, it's too much. The connection's still there. You think, oh, I, uh, someone, I lost it here last week. If you leave it months and months, the person can't remember where they lost it and it just seems like it's dropped, you know, this information has dropped out of the heavens. Um, so, you know, he's playing clever. It's a mixture of, so, so it's a real mixture of simple tricks like that simple crimes uh, and psychology um and he was doing that and he was uh, he had a ruse where he was like he had put microphones outside the church and he would listen to people's conversations and pick up on their concerns and then that he would channel through the supposed spirits and then the big thing he did which links to this idea of the the psychic mafia is that they were all in cahoots there was a network of ma- of 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 mediums who were sharing information on their clients uh, across the US. This was a time in, in, in the 70s where mediums were really popular. Uh, I mean, they always have been, but um, they would sh- have these little almost like index cards um, and he, they would note down, you know, the name, the religion, the, the you know, the somebody's second cousin had an illness or that kind of thing that then you would be able to look people up supposedly according to Lamar in um in these in these files um and get a bit of information um on who was coming away uh and for imagine for like for the for the sitter that was just remarkable because um I mean you, you you're kind of up for it, I suppose, by being there in the first place. But when people are dropping that sort of information into the conversation, you, you know, you, you you can't believe what you're hearing, and you go again, and um, and you know, the mess, the reputation of a medium will spread. And there was a circuit um, that these mediums kind of did, and there was actually 
these holiday camps in the US which were devoted to spiritualism. Um, and that was one of the places that Lamarckine used to operate in. Um, it was in Indiana called Camp Chesterfield. And it would be like, I mean, I always I describe it in the podcast as a bit like how you'd imagine, you know, it's a bit like the dirty dancing, <laughs> you know, a holiday camp with all these little cottages where people are staying and coming together, uh, you know, and you go to the ice cream parlor and, um, and you know, and you go to the events. Um, but in this case, what was bringing them together was, was spiritualism and, and you could, you could, there would be big group seances, but also there were all these cottages where mediums would stay for the duration of high season um, and you could book in um, to see your favourite mediums and um, and that's how they would be making money. Um, and the other thing that fascinated me about the story is knowing that Camp Chesterfield still exists today. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I think it's about 140 years old um, and it's got hotels on site and, uh, you know, you can attend some of their... Um, sessions by Zoom, uh, which has happened since the pandemic, and um, and it's a fascinating place of so much history that's it's been run by really interesting characters over the years, which we we look into in, in into the podcast. So is that is that camp? Is that like um, it's almost like the psychics of the like camp counselors or whatever they might be, and then normies like us who can't you know not non clairvoyant are most of the the guests. Is that how it is? Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know the people who tend to go to are believers because they're you know they, they, if you build a whole holiday around you know <laughs> um, visiting mediums, so you know you, you you you're probably quite sold on the idea. Um, and for Lamar, it was his massive goal when he started sort of dabbling, you know, innocently at first in in, in this idea of being a medium. Um, and then he set his sights on becoming a resident at Camp Chesterfield because you just have this influx of of customers. Um, and there's a few across the across the US actually that still exist today. I wonder if people, yeah, I suppose it was like like you say, the reputation spread, and then someone probably not as good at guessing things, and their reputation was bad, and you could leave a bad. Well, I guess they didn't have reviews and stuff. But I know it's still going now. I had a massage at a hotel recently, and it was rubbish, and it was so upsetting because uh, it just it was just like a rub and I wanted to like you know I, sp- I suppose it's a different thing but they were going for psychic stuff and I can imagine feeling really upset if you go in or do you think most people just go in and then they're, they're so willing to believe they just always believe I think if you've I think people want it I think even the people who are slightly skeptical when you're in the room you kind of want to be pulled in and surprised and you know it, it, it makes a good story that you know you come out of it and, you, and you're like yeah but I couldn't believe they knew that that was a weird that was a weird that's too much to be a coincidence and um and so yeah it's a sort of suspension of disbelief when you when you go in into the room hey it's Andrew if you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take 
to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. I can't believe this dirty dancing hotel. I think that's fascinating. I mean, so, so, and, and then, as you say, they were sharing information about each other. That's about, about other, each other's clients. So is that how it worked then? Was it that somebody would go see a, um, a, a psychic and the psychic would get some bits of information out of them, maybe didn't impress them that much with what they knew, but they knew some stuff. Then that goes into like the, the central system that all the psychics are getting from. So when that person then goes and sees another psychic, that psychic already knows the basics. Yeah, like a central lending library of sorts, pre-internet. And I mean, it's worth saying that also that this is this is Lamar's account, and I, I all throughout doing research on him, you've got you know he is he is an unreliable narrator, and you have to take that into consideration. Um, but he he has got like examples of these um, of these cards and this information that's shared, and you know, and other people who have backed up the story. But equally, Camp Chesterfield, which, like I say, still exists in Indiana. When I spoke to them uh, and their one of their historians specifically, who was quite happy to talk about Lamar's history, um, he said, "I, you know, I'm some of these things I cast out on." He he didn't say he said that there's no cavernous basement in you know at Camp Chesterfield that could have been filled with all these cards. But then again, they're index cards; they don't need a cavernous basement you could get you could get hundreds in a very thousands in a very small space and um yeah why do you think he came clean about it or well according to him it was guilt um it started to eat away at him as he became more successful and he had more money and he was living the life um but he wasn't comfortable with what he was doing um so eventually he well he also he, he had a partner as well that they kind of they ran things together and they also had a very explosive argument you know and um and he severed ties with the with all the churches he'd founded so he worked not just at camp chesterfield but he found that all these little churches um quite a lot in florida which is where he was from in tampa um and he left it all behind um, and it was this author, um, or two authors, Bill Roucher um, and, and a colleague who came across the story and convinced him to, to tell everything as a confessional memoir, all the tricks of the trade, um, how he did it and why he did it and what he got away with. Do you think, um, do you believe him that he felt guilty? Uh, does he seem like that kind of person given what he'd done? Or, or may, it sounds like if he had this partner he fell out with, he might have just wanted to sort of get revenge on the rest of the community. Yeah, I mean, I wondered about that throughout. And um, I think that is a factor. Um, but then I've also questioned, why, you know, he could have written this book and it could have been a platform for him um, to make, you know, to make more money from this and if he wanted to be famous um he could have done and indeed he did a round of ch 
chat shows and newspaper interviews, which was which was amazing for me because that was like became a good source of information, uh, archival inf- information. Um, but he didn't really use that as a launch pad. He disappeared and went underground, changed his name, and never went back to spiritualism. Never, uh, according to Bill Rauch, who worked on the book, he did one conference in Chicago, which he'd done before the book came out. So that was under a pseudonym, Mr. X, where he was telling some of his um, confessions. And according to both Bill and Lamar, he felt terribly uncomfortable doing that. And it's weird because he was a showman, you know, in some ways he was so extrovert and loved the attention. But apparently in that moment, there were people in the audience that from the Psychic Mafia, well, former colleagues, uh, at least. Um, and he felt guilty, uncomfortable, fearful. Yeah, well, if they're a mafia of any sorts, I mean, I wonder, was there any retribution? Yes, well, there were... In the book, he writes about um, receiving threatening phone calls. Obviously, we only have his... Um, side of the story on some of these things um he says he was shot at um after he left the after he left the church and people worried that he was going to be telling all apparently uh and there was uh there was just bullet he found bullet holes in the side of his house in in florida and he moved after that and um and then there was another attempt on his life apparently after the book came out um he was shot at and and it did actually strike him in the abdomen i think um and that was the thing i always wanted to look into and i think i at the beginning of this i was like oh, i'm gonna solve this sort of cold case <laughs> attempted murder <laughs> i don't know i'll find out who did it and you know that was actually impossible there are no police records of, of this i don't know you know i don't know what he reported uh, as i say he's unreliable you can't you know you've got to take everything a bit with a pinch of salt but there are other accounts of people who saw him after coming out the hospital while he was in hospital and um, corroborate that. Um, but we don't know who did it. And he is mysterious and um, the sort of character that may have upset other people as well. So who knows? But I was always trying to sort of get to the bottom of whether this happened or not. And it was only in finding out about his much, much later life. Um, the, I mean, his life takes a, a, a very strange and, and tragic turn towards the end. Um, the, um, I won't do too many spoilers, but he did end up running this charity shop in Miami, um, which is quite, quite not what you'd expect from this flamboyant psychic showman. Um, and what people have told me, I've chased people who knew him at that time, and they said, yeah, it was strange, actually, because they hadn't joined the dots. They didn't know about his previous life. Um, and, and, they, and when I told them, they said, oh, yeah, actually, it's beginning to make sense because there were bouncers outside the charity shop. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was like, oh, that didn't make sense. Like, who has bouncers outside a charity shop? Yeah. You know, he, and they said he was just, he came across as this really paranoid character. And, like, he never really talked about his past, but they were aware of something, you know, yeah, he didn't really talk about where he'd come from or anything, but there was something there that was making him constantly nervous. So but by those accounts, I do believe that there was some sort of 
Um, he, he certainly feared for his life based on... It is all a bit tragic, really, but it, it sounds like he, you know, he's obviously defrauded a lot of people, so don't want to feel too sorry for him. But at the same time, like, I feel like YouTube maybe came like 50 years too late for him because he could have his own channel now where he'd be doing all these slice of hands and psychological stuff, you know, the Darren Brown mentalist kinds of... of of things it is a bit sad isn't it yeah and i sort of always have kind of mixed feelings about him because i'd got so into his life that there were times where you know you always feel this fondness for him and then you remember what he did and then you have to and he did some like we haven't even got into some of the really awful things he did where he was like channeling people's dead children i mean this is really seriously emotionally manipulative the the sort of lows he was willing to go to uh con people out of their inheritance you know he would there'd be members of his church who he would then go and see their relatives and do these fake seances where he would channel that person who just died and and say that they wanted to donate everything they had to the church um and you know it was it it, it was dark so i mean it's, it's no wonder that it, it caught up with him um at some point was the church was the church sort of colluding with him then so if they donated all the money to the church and what they'd have to give him a, a part well he ran the church with his partner right. some of these ones the one i'm thinking of actually is one of the ones he ran in in in, in um florida once he realized he had a knack for this so him and his sort of childhood friend um first went to to a um a spiritualist church out of curiosity um and you know by his account quite wide-eyed about it um wanting to believe um and then they after going repeatedly started to realize what what they could get out of this and there's something called um they're known as open eye and shut eye mediums and so the idea is that the shut eye mediums are people who believe in what they're doing um they really think they're psychic they really think they're channeling something and and you know and passing on something from the other side and there are the open-eyed ones which lamar became through this kind of transition um where you know you're a blatant fraud and you know you're not psychic and you're just doing this to um to make money or to to get power over people that's so interesting because I mean so much of this the reason I was interested in this story is like so much of it overlaps with you know I often do look into cults and extreme ideologies and extreme ideologues and I really like that open eye versus closed eye thing because I think it can apply just as well to I mean there's uh, ideologues who could be just you know shrills uh, trying to make money out of whatever they're saying either super left wing or right wing uh, and the same with cult leaders like how many of them really believe they're the son of God or whatever it might be and how many of their eyes open to, open to it my my one of my mum's best friends um is a psychic that's that's her job and so people go to her uh and i think her sons listen to this podcast um which is which is because they i don't think they believe in this stuff but they're like okay mum, you do your thing and she has like I, I don't know the names of anyone but i think fairly prominent people coming around and she sort of tells them stuff and I think she, I mean, I would be very surprised if she were anything but a, a closed eye psychic because I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I don't think that she would want or, or need to swindle people. And it's such a fascinating thought, isn't it? To, that that people really believe that they're speaking to God and they, I guess they're not, 
But then, so how do they work? Because surely for the whole thing to work, you've got to be doing some of this, but these background checks and things. How can a closed eye psychic ever get it right? Um, I think by being open and perceptive and maybe not even picking up on certain clues uh, in, in, in what people, what people are, how people are reacting to the things you say. Uh, cause that, that's a, that's a, that's a big part of it. And, um, I mean, there was, there was, I was reading an interesting story about, uh, a, a guy who was, I think he was skeptic and then he was convinced that the psychic he'd been to, this medium was, um, was truthful because they, he managed to say something along the line, say something, work out that his father, who'd recently died and he died of alcoholism and that came out um, during the course of the conversation. But reading between the lines, which I started to do having spoken to mentalists, there was, there was one great mentalist, like a kind of Darren Brown um, type figure called Banachek that I interviewed for this podcast and he started making me aware of like little how these conversations come together over time they never go straight in with something like that so in that situation I mean I wasn't in the room I don't know what was said but for example it could be that the that the psychic had said um you know there's an older figure in your family who likes a who'd like to drink and you know if you're talking to a white person in England of a certain age, you're probably going back, you've got, you know, a father, a grandfather, a, uh, an uncle or someone who liked to drink to a certain extent. You're unlikely to have, like, all be surrounded by teetotals completely. So the person's mind will go to in one of those directions. I mean, if you'd asked me that question, I would think of my... Um, uh, my granddad, who passed away at ripe old age of, like, nearly 90, liked to, liked to drink, uh, but, you know, he was an alcoholic... Um, but you know, I'd have fond memories and you might see how I react to that with a little smile or something that gives it away, even if you're trying to be a poker face. But if you say that to someone who's recently lost their father from alcoholism, they're, they're just going to react. Something in them is going to like, you know, is, is going to chime with them. And you as the psychic could really push on that, uh, and, and quickly come to, to work out what's happened in this person's life and what's bothering them and um and the person who's in that sitting really would want to connect with their recently departed father um they're really willingly believing you know wanting trying to connect um and so you can see how these things come together and how you you know how much emotional manipulation can be involved and how much psychology? I, did, I didn't realise this, but John Ronson, when he came on, he told me that Jewish people don't drink. And my family's Jewish. And I'd never considered that. But that's true because I'm trying to th- – I'm scratching my head and I can't think of grandparents or anyone who had a drinking problem. Uh, but maybe that's the kind of thing that a psychic would already have. Like, okay, this guy might be Jewish, his last name or something. Yeah, exactly. And it's not that, yeah, it's not necessarily a drinking problem either. You interpret it as you, as you wish. And like, uh, what was the, the thing that Banachek also told me about? Um, I was like, oh, this is like dating profiles where someone says, you know, I like a catch all phrase, like, um, 
you know, I like watching Netflix with a glass of wine and trying to see if you get like a, a reaction for something like that. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, I would, if I were asking that, I would even make it even more open. Everything's about being open ended. And he would be like, you know, I like, net, you talk about Netflix with a drink. And then, you know, yeah, a teetotal person will think of having a cup of tea of an evening and a, you know, and a bit, and someone else would be thinking of having a gin, but you need quickly kind of, work it out and move towards that con- conclusion with these kind of open statements is, is this cold calling cold calling is that what they call it mm. cold calling i already that's I already a s- sales thing isn't it i think so cold calling technique in which a salesperson right i'm, I'm talking nonsense uh what's it called there's a thing it's called isn't it when oh Oh, hot and cold reading. Yeah, cold yeah, reading, right? Yeah, okay. exactly. And and I suppose what I, yeah, what I'm talking about is, uh, uh, yeah, is when you don't have that information. Um, what's that called? Cold reading. Yeah, I think that's cold reading, isn't it? I've seen some of those people on the TV. You know, they when they they start shouting out, "Somebody's got a father called David" or whatever. And they're like, well, there's Daniel. Yeah, Daniel, I meant. Exactly. I went to some of those actually through Camp Chesterfield. And one of the ones at the end was was like, um, they they said, oh, yeah, I'm getting someone's grandma. And um, she loved Christmas. And I was like, God, you know, a lot of people's <laughs> grandma, especially in that, that part of America, you know, where it's going to yeah. be a lot of Christian people in the in the room. And and they were like, yeah, and she loved bringing the family together. And of course, someone's oh. like, oh, that's that's me. That's 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 definitely my grandma. Oh, man. Imagine doing that, though. Imagine going up on stage and you don't know. I mean, the stage fright you'd get of like, oh, God, what if I can't guess this time? You know, these people, I feel like they must just be psychopaths or something to not be worried they're going to be caught out, you know? It's like, um, yeah, I suppose in, in Lamar's case, um, yeah, he was he was very confident in that in that kind of setting. And, you know, you've always got that get out. That's the way you can say, um, oh, you know, oh, the spirits are playing tricks on me today. You'd say that sort of thing. You know, they're confusing me. Uh, oh, I mean, you know, or... or Bloody spirits. Yeah, or if you're, you're not getting the person you think you're... Um, talking to or trying to connect to if maybe they don't respond but you see someone else in the audience responding and you and then you kick it forward and um there's quite a lot of get outs you know what's really sad is um so i did a documentary about exorcism and uh you know and people got better from exorcism because of the placebo effect and everything so they actually got better and then worse years later but some people you know when they'd come back a year later to this exorcist and say um you know i'm I'm having the same psychological problems i was having before what's going on the exorcist the exorcist would turn it on them and say well you're obviously not doing enough on your part and it's so sad to see that happen and i imagine that must happen a little bit with the psychics as well you know well you there's something with you maybe yeah you're not believing hard enough or or something like that yeah that can happen (sighs) horrible mm-hmm. i i heard i think this was in your podcast that four out of ten americans uh believe in sort of spirituality and stuff and one in ten british people and what's really interesting is how that's evolved into sort of a modern day version of uh psychics so what's going on there yeah i mean spiritualism has such a long history and all oh, the psychics have such a long history and it changes so much uh and when i was a it's a huge it's a huge industry as you say um and more recently, I 
I've seen them termed in, in, intuitive healers. It's kind of a rebranding. Um, they've become part of the wellness industry. Uh, you can, you know, in the same way you're, you're talking about booking a ma- massage, you can you book a psychic session at leading department stores. It's paying lots of money. Um, and, you know, and they're not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that they're characters like Lamar Keen at all. Um, but there is, there is a huge broad appeal. There are apps. Uh, there's a, a TV show on, on Netflix, the, the Tyler Henry show. He's the Hollywood medium. He's got an enormous following. I was just looking, looking at, um, I got sent an email. He wouldn't speak to me for the podcast, but somehow he still sends me his press releases. And, um, uh, and he's just launched a tour that's completely sold out across the US. That's Ty- Tyler Henry, is it? Mm-hmm. Or, 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 and who, and who was Tyler Henry? He's a young contemporary um, uh, medium. Hmm. Mm, looking at pictures of him now, he really looks very young and smiling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he does reality show stuff. Man, that's so weird. That's still going on. Oh yeah, and a lot of celebrities in, are you know endorsing psychics. Kim Kardashian has, Drew Barrymore has. They have them on their shows. I mean, there was always that trend. I mean, in the nineties, it was quite big to have. Uh, psychics like Sylvia Brown was a big one that used to do things like the Montel William Montel Williams show, uh, and you know she always claimed that she could find like I mean this is this is also dark. She claimed that she could find missing children uh, and things like that, and uh, and and missing people. Did the police like use them? Well, police have in the past used psychics uh, until quite recent uh, until quite recently in some countries i'm sure they still do in some places i believe so little in any of that i feel like i would say zero percent i believe in spiritual stuff and and people again they get angry when i say that because they go you don't know everything and i go okay i don't know anything but if like my kid were missing and we'd exhausted every other avenue and someone came along and was like i promise you i can 100 percent, i can find you you know it would almost be negligent to say no in that you know you're just like okay whatever please help here's some money and in, in her case sylvia brown would never back down either you know she she was uh, you know a bit like what we, we were to, we were talking about with just almost like tell the other person there's a clip that we used in the in the podcast of her talking to someone in a chat show audience who and she's like yeah i'm getting yeah, her d- dead fiance yeah i'm getting channeling in that i there's water there's water involved and she keeps going down that and the, the woman's like mm, no i don't think that's i don't think that is my um fiance and um, she's like, no, no, it's definitely water. And the woman's like, well, he was a fireman. He died in nine eleven, you know. And um, she's she she had this. She'd been creating this picture about him being drowned, basically, and his body was in 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 a lake somewhere. And she didn't back down through the course of that conversation. I suppose she's like it's a, it's almost like a sunk cost fallacy. Like I'm I'm in so deep now, I'm just going to keep being obstinate and keep going. That I mean, what they do really, it's it's so awful. And it reminds me a little bit of you know the news of the world hacking scandal, and they were hacking Millie Dowler's phone. She was a, a girl who was murdered, um, and and because they were looking at her voice messages, it, it kept the hopes of the. Uh, the parents alive because they could see the voice messages have had been activated. It's a similar thing, isn't it? That kind of keeping hope alive of of people with missing children is is abominable. Yeah, it, yeah, it's 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 it's, it's 
probably the lowest thing yeah and then you've you've got so there's like these psychics going on today and then there's like what about stuff like um you know Gwyneth Paltrow and uh the the sort of rebrand that's going on with you know is she does she count in the sort of spiritual world she's been one of the people who's used the phrase intuitive uh rather than psychics and uh, well i think she still does use that that phrase but there was an episode of her goop labs show on netflix which i've watched where they um yeah where again it was like psychics as a, as a well-being um treat really and um yeah they they and it's kind of like the setup was an expert and um and a psychic but the expert had a their phd in um i don't know parapsychology or something they weren't an impartial expert um so so yeah but she was she was on board i don't think people talk enough about gwyneth paltrow because i think that's insane I think that stuff is insane. We talk a lot about like breakdowns and mad stuff happening with like Hollywood actors and actresses and whatever. And, and that is totally mad what she's doing. And it's so weird because as an actress, she's brilliant. And like a lot of the roles she plays are so down to earth and so sort of uh, s- cynical and skeptical and straight. And then she's just her head up in this space. I wonder if she, do you, do you wonder if she's an eyes, she must be an eyes shut kind of intuitive person. What, who just said, I don't know. Yeah, I've only really seen that episode out of curiosity. So I don't, I wouldn't, wouldn't know too much about her yeah. beliefs. But there is a really a, a blurred line between this, this, this kind of new uh, intuitive stuff and science. Because I went to um, Lush the other day. And I was getting talked to about all these skin products. And I don't usually do all the skin products, but I got a bit all spotted. My skin sort of broken out and stuff. And so my girlfriend was going, oh, you know, let's get you into Lush. And the, this guy was just telling me about all this stuff. And I just thought, how much of this is just like, you know, gloop or whatever it is, you know, just nonsense. And how much is like, oh, this is a scientific thing for your face. Do you know what I mean with all the the, the dermatological stuff? <laughs> Yeah, that's what, yeah, I suppose so. That's that's a pivot. I uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it sort of gets into everything, doesn't it? Because Marketing. a salesperson, yeah, yeah, they can say anything. They're just saying to me, okay, well, this has got some sort of uh, sandy stuff that'll help bring out this or that, and it's like, well, is this? <laughs> what is this? Do you know? What? I don't know. Yeah, I suppose I it's, it comes down to to yeah, marketing and what people want to want to buy into yeah you know what's the the weird thing about lamar lamar keen is that he still believed in spiritual stuff even after coming out and saying that all of his stuff was fake right lamar well n- no not really after he came out he, he did sever ties and that was the thing he never went back to to spiritualism and he was you know he did his expose to to show the industry up really um and he did say that he thought that yeah despite everything that happened he could set himself up if he wanted to again you know immediately and he would he would soon get a following that way and he's and he's right probably isn't he because his partner continued right exactly and he died at 59 do you know why he died so young yeah well i didn't when i started doing this um and um it was quite hard to find out what happened in the latter part of his life you know the book ends his uh he's you know still in his his 40s and uh yeah there was the round of publicity that he'd done 
for the book. But then he, after that, he really did go to the ground, um, you know, changed his name, um, changed his lifestyle, certainly didn't, yeah, didn't get on some sort of celebrity post-psychic skeptic circuit or anything. Um, so it was a case of like trying to find out what happened to him and it took, it did take ages. And, and at one point I was like, well, I don't know where we're going to end this podcast. I'm not going to solve this attempted murder. <laughs> where, where are we going? Um, but I managed to find out, um, that he had, um, another sort of second big chapter of his life where he became a AIDS activist down in Miami. Yeah, he uh, he had AIDS himself and his partner. His after he left the partner who was in the church, he had uh, a, a new partner that he met, and um, they both had AIDS in the oh, yeah early eighties. Um, the you know through the height of the that period, and um, he was running a charity with his partner in Miami becoming this spokesperson for for change to get people more support and it's quite incredible to like listen to his or not to, I haven't heard them but to read some of his quotes and speeches from the time when he was when he was suddenly this voice for against the the government he couldn't stand frauds and con people and he was trying to get money for people who needed it and um i found this long read where someone had had that someone had written from a, a florida-based newspaper um about him under this new identity charles hutchison um and about this organization that he was running pwac it was called and it just sounded pretty chaotic they had these crazy meetings that were very fraught and intense and he was a difficult character he annoyed everybody but he he was um but he was a big personality and he was fighting for change and they managed to set up some accommodation for uh for men with aids in in miami and yeah he did he, he did sort of make a difference um so it's very it wasn't where i expected the story to end up uh and then i've spoke to people who did know him in this latter part of his life and told them you know did you know he was a psychic con man before this and uh, i didn't know how they were going to react and they were like oh that makes sense <laughs> it's a complicated <laughs> which was not the reaction i was expecting but they were like, it was something, yeah, there was something, he didn't, he didn't fit in with other people who, um, that they knew at the time. And he always seemed to be carrying some baggage and, uh, he was aloof and, 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 and tricksy and very generous apparently at that point in his life. Um, but it is, yeah, it's a, a very much a, a history, his history is a history of two different sides, but that same kind of flamboyant and, and intriguing personality 
drawing it together. It feels like a movie. Has there been a movie about him now? And, and would they have to go through you for the rights for that or something? <laughs> um, I mean, some people got in touch because so, it always would be a, a great, it really would be a great movie. And and Bill Roucher, who worked on the book, said that. I mean, he's now, what, nearly 90. Uh, so, um, and he was like, it's, he's always felt it was a great movie. Um, and yeah, a, a powerful, mysterious, confusing story. Yeah, catch me if you can, kind of thing, mm. I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Tell me a little. I've just been sort of, you know, I've been going through your your background and stuff. What's the index on censorship where you, where you used to work? Oh, that's um, yeah, um, a free speech organisation that's, that's that's been running since the seventies. Um, still still going strong based in london um yeah i've done done some incredible things over the years working with journalists and um artists and all sorts of people um who had their freedom of speech impinged in different ways so they had a magazine they had i worked i worked on the magazine uh, that they've had since the since the seventies. Oh, that's cool. And was is it sort of on both sides of the political spectrum where you're getting like the yeah? Is that something that's quite important to you? Yeah, um, yeah. And now I work for the BBC, so yeah, um, yeah. I do believe in free press and um, yeah, the importance of impartiality. And and tell me a bit about um, fake heiress. Ah, uh, yeah, that was the previous um, podcast I did of a similar ilk it was a docudrama uh and it was a story of anna delvey um who people now also know through the netflix series inventing anna she was um uh, a young woman in her 20s uh, born in russia grew up in germany who reinvented herself as an heir to an enormous trust fund and uh went around particularly in new york but also other parts of europe um claiming that she was going to open something called the Anna Delvey Foundation. Um, and it was, and she managed to con a lot of people out of money, including banks, and, um, to, to raise money for this foundation. And it was pure fraud. Do you think there's something about fraud or phonies that particularly interests you as subject matters? Are you going to look for uh, other things like that in the future? Yeah, my next, my next fake, make it a trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, I definitely am interested. And then, like, you know, um, and obviously that sort of thing has taken off enormously, like, um, um, after the kind of summer of scam that we had when that Anna Delvey and Elizabeth Holmes and Fire Festival and all those big stories happened. There's um, been an increase. In it. But I think there's always been an interest. I think the difference is uh, that because we're watching on these enormous platforms, we all get behind the same story and they become these enormous figures. But I think people have always been interested in in, in scams and cons. I wonder if that's... Uh, I, I remember the philosopher Paul Bloom was on here and he was talking about why people love true crime and, and horror movies and stuff. And a lot of that's because it's sort of... It's practice for the brain that your 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 brain like gives you dopamine or whatever it is so that you watch more of this stuff uh so you can see how people are murdered and maimed and killed so you can try and avoid that if it happens to you and uh i can imagine with the fraud stuff and the phony stuff we all want to watch it and learn like how to avoid those things happening to us yeah and the thing i've learned from talking to a lot of experts in, in that field is like everybody's susceptible 
And I think sometimes we think we're not, and sometimes we like listen to these stories and we're like, what an idiot. You know, the people who fell for Lamar's thing, what, what fools. But like, if you catch someone at the right time emotionally in their life, particularly, then, you know, I think any, anyone can, can, can be taken in and, you know, yeah of all backgrounds all education levels all classes like you know yeah yeah i think that really applies to cults and ideologies and things as well yeah certainly and and that was something kept in mind um through both of those podcasts like um yeah sort of respecting the victims yeah absolutely where do you want people to go and i mean obviously they could just get it in podcast places can't they and, and they f- follow you on twitter as well where would you like to send people uh so the podcast uh fake psychic and fake hair restaurant bbc sounds um and other podcast platforms and yeah i'm on twitter at vicky baker great yeah bbc sounds people in american stuff can still get that can't they i think yeah i think so but yeah and it's on it's on most other platforms and and apple and cast box and things like that okay perfect well vicky baker thank you for being on the edge thank you thanks so much for having me it's been great to chat Thank you, Vicky Baker, for coming on. Please do check out her brilliant Fake Psychics podcast on BBC Sounds. If you like that, listen to Fake Airs too and follow her on Vicky Baker on Twitter. If you love this podcast, please do sign up on patreon.com slash andrewgold to support it and keep it going. I treasure my patrons very, very much. Thanks to my latest patron, Chris Coleman and girlfriend Tessa, for their wonderful support. I really, really appreciate it and appreciate the kind words and everything. Hope you keep enjoying this and please keep reviewing. I know for a fact that big name guests check how many reviews a podcast has on Apple Podcasts before deciding if it's worth their time coming on. So if you want to see more big names on here, a review will go a long way. Annoyingly, it only shows the amount of reviews that you have in a particular country, so the, the country that you happen to be in. So Americans will only see a smaller you know, number of reviews, whereas it's a little higher in Britain. Uh, and in any case, I hope both will rise. And here are some of my latest reviews. Danny Vasquez wrote, I really appreciate that the long pause around the question regarding fond memories of Grandpa Phelps was not edited out. I love that I was in that space of anticipation and curiosity long enough to really absorb Nate's response. The entire feeling in this interview was of love. Thank you. That is Danny talking about the very first episode of this podcast with Nate Phelps from the Westbrook Baptist Church who left uh, uh, you know, abusive upbringing that he had been in. And I I do know what that they're talking talking about because um i remember it was my first episode i was quite edit heavy uh trying to edit everything to make it as perfect as possible but there were one or two questions that had some emotion in them and i wanted you guys to get that from nate as well uh i didn't want to edit out those thinking spaces you know the emotional silences thank you danny for that very thoughtful comment another new review comes from janet zag who wrote fun and interesting they're in the united states they gave five stars and they wrote andrew is lots of fun to listen to good guests good interviews interesting ideas smart guy must be talking about someone else i look forward to hearing his podcasts well thank you very much janet zag that's a lovely uh, comment to read that i got up in the morning and read first thing it was very nice um i got one from 
HFDGJKB, which I imagine is just they've just hit the keyboard or something, but they're in Canada and gave five stars and said, my favourite podcast, it seems like the majority of media is an echo chamber of whatever is trendy at the time, but not this podcast. I appreciate the variety of opinions and views expressed by the guests. Andrew's curiosity and interview style is refreshing. I always look forward to listening to new episodes and refer the podcast to everyone. Ah, thank you, jumble of letters. Uh, that's really nice. Shame this isn't a trendy podcast. But no, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. And, and you're right, we can't just go for whatever's trendy at the time. Um, and I, I really appreciate that you're referring the podcast to people. That's a huge help and is a very natural way for it to spread and grow. Uh, and oh, is this going to be the last one today? No, there's two more I'm going to read out today. Uh, the Monsons in the United States gave five stars and wrote brilliant, outstanding podcast to add to my rotation. Gets me through long days, brackets and nights. In my wood shop, we've built some beautiful furniture together. Andrew's a spectacular host and the guests are beyond interesting. Bravo, Zulu from Southern California. Oh, well, thank you very much, um, Zulu. I think Zulu's your name and Bravo is you saying Bravo, but I am not going to, uh, you know, suggest that it couldn't possibly be Bravo Zulu, your name. Uh, but in any case, thank you so much. Southern California is a beautiful part of the world. I spent some time there when I was 19. I was looking after children at a kids camp and then I went traveling with my new friends in Southern California. They were all at um, the University of Southern Cal- California, as it happens, because um, we were all students at the time. And it was good fun. And then we went down to San Diego. So yeah, beautiful part of the world. And I love to imagine you doing your woodshop stuff while listening to this. So thank you to Zulu. Um, last review today, Natty G1978 loves podcasts. I bet that person's going to love podcasts. Five stars, United States. Andrew's amazing content. I'm from a cult and his content is amazing. I am the creator of Cult Girls, the first anti-cult awareness memoir of my life as a Jehovah's Witness, large international cult. God, this is an advert I'm doing. Um, there is many policies that are destroying families, lives and protecting child abuse crimes. My book is more of an empowering light. Edu- I really am doing an advert here. Empowering light educational comedy, but we are entering a time of awareness and treating children more humane. Peace and love to all please support amazing channels like that getting information out to protect children natalie grand thank you natalie that's very very nice uh, and I've, I've seen you on youtube as well uh and interacted with you and it's all been very lovely uh and that's the end of the reviews for today thank you so much come join me next time out wait who have i got next time when i've got katie morton the therapist who will be talking about you know new findings on depression and about eating disorders and some of the things she's been through herself i'll see you then hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.